Welcome to Lasting Truth, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel, Sweet Hills in Banning, California, where Pastor Ryan Hussein teaches the entire Word of God, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, giving our listeners the opportunity of receiving the full counsel of God. In today's program, we are starting the book of Romans, chapter 1. Here's Pastor Ryan. So turn with me in your Bibles this morning, not to Acts, but to the book of Romans. Praise the Lord. If it was written today, it would be the book of the Italians. I could use some good Italian food, actually. It's been a while. The book of Romans chapter 1, and give me an amen once you're there. Father, we do come before you this morning again with thanksgiving, Lord. Oh, Lord, you are so glorious and wonderful, powerful, merciful, and kind. Oh, Lord, you saved us from the pit of hell. Oh, Lord, you called sinners, those who are sick, to come to you and be healed. And we're grateful that we have And Lord, that you've given us this place to study your word. Lord, we ask that by your spirit you would lead us and bless us and teach us through it, Lord. Remove pride from us. Remove arrogance. Remove the cares and the anxieties of this life away. And Lord, fill us overflowing with the power of your spirit. Pour your grace out, Father. May it be all of you and none of me. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So Romans chapter 1. As you know, at the end of the book of Acts, Paul finally arrived in Rome. It was his heart's desire to visit that thriving church. It was a church that he had heard about. He heard about their faith and desired greatly to see them. And um, he got to visit Rome, but... I'm sure not in the way that he had imagined. He went as a captive of Rome, but really he was in chains for his faith in Jesus Christ. They say that the book of Romans is Paul's greatest work. Um, It is the most extensive book on doctrine in the Bible. It is the leader in the Pauline letters, and that's a fancy way of saying the books that Paul wrote, the Pauline letters in the New Testament. Uh, but it's not the first letter to be written. He wrote other letters prior to the book of Romans, but yet Romans is the first one after the book of Acts. It's the first letter that is there that the Lord, uh, by inspiration, placed it right there at the end of Acts, which is good because he arrived in Rome. We read how the entourage came to meet him as he was making his way up to Rome and how they encouraged him and he was encouraged. He loved Rome. Um, Countless of men and women attribute the book of Romans to their salvation throughout history and some of them are pretty famous. Uh, Augustine attributes the book of Romans to his salvation. Martin Luther, John Wesley, um, and others. They received unexpected arrows from the Lord to their heart. And their defenses went down and they surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. I know Chuck uh, called Romans the gospel according to grace. 
Paul describes the benefit of all scriptures in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. Beautifully, right? The benefit of all scripture. I'm still a boy, right? That sounded cool. Um, it's like a, like a speed bag or something. <laughs> 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 through 17. He says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good word work. That's the benefit. That's a that describes like the Bible. Amen. That's how benefit the Word of God is. That's why it's a church's job to teach the Scriptures because they're beneficial to our souls. They. They complete us, they guide us, they teach us. Everything that we need uh, for life and godliness is found um, within the scriptures. That is what Romans is. It's a beneficial, it sums it up in what he said in 2 Timothy. It is a full expression of apostolic um, theology. Paul's arguments challenge the secular pagan mind, uh, yet they also pierce the shallow spiritual confidence of many non-pagans. And I like that both, that Paul in Romans, he really shows us, you know, what the issue is with the pagan mind, what the issue is with lost man, right? And we all wonder about the human experience. And you can imagine if this was taught in schools, that this is why the world is why it is, because it's, it's a fallen world and man is fallen, and he describes it wonderfully. What, what is their issue? Which we should know what their issue is if we're going to minister the truth of God to them. Also, he equally speaks towards those who are non-pagan, who think perhaps they're good in their own sight, and basically levels us all out, right? Romans is the mighty leveler of the, of the scriptures. For it declares that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. There's none that is righteous. No, not one, right? That's in chapter 3, verse 23. And since all of us are sinners, it comes as a delight shock that God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Chapter 5, verse 8. Crazy. When I look back at my life and I look back at how I had lived, how lost I was, in my unbelief, the wickedness that I did as a young man. I just can't believe that even when I was in that state, Christ died for me. He, he, he didn't wait for me to get cleaned up or to live right or to do good. Because I couldn't clean up enough, live right enough, or do good enough to get saved. It was by the cross, by what he did, and my faith in him. And he did the cleansing. Even before I was a sinner, he died for us, for you, for me. And this is the good news which Paul so eloquently and systematically defends in this theological uh, writing to the Romans. It was written by Paul, obviously, during his third missionary journey, about 57 AD, while he was in Corinth. Uh, they believe he was in Corinth for about three years, and it was during that time that he wrote this letter. Uh, we do not know how the church began in Rome, but as we talked about a few weeks ago, that most believe that there had to be Roman Jews who were 
uh, in Jerusalem for the feast, the day of Pentecost. And when God, uh, when Jesus had ascended into heaven and poured out his spirit on that day of Pentecost upon the church and Peter preached and 3,000 were saved that day. They were from all over the world. And commentators believe there had to be some Roman Jews that were there who got saved and took the message back to Rome. That's what most commentators believe. Paul, when he wrote the letter, had not yet gone to Rome. He had never been there, right? This was where he desired to go um, for a long time, but he had not been there when he wrote the letter. Paul admired the faith of the believers in Rome, and he prayed for them regularly. And on the, oh, uh, it is evident that the church there included both Jews and Gentiles. Now, if you think about it, his desire was to go to Rome. He did three missionary journeys, known as the apostle to the who? To the Gentiles, right? He's a Jewish man who thought, you know what, I'm saved. I want to preach to the Jews. And he did. He preached and some got saved. But mostly the Lord used them to minister to those who weren't his people, the Gentiles, right? The non-Jews of the world. And Rome, the Roman Empire, the city of Rome itself was probably the most condensed place of Gentiles in the known world at that time. So where else... What a better place for Paul to go than to the place where there's the most Gentiles. And so the church was, was mostly Gentiles, but there were Jewish colonies in Rome. So it was a mixture of Gentiles and Jews. And on the surface, it does not appear that there was any problem in the church at Rome that he specifically wrote this letter for. However, there are some indications when we go through it, we'll see uh, that the believers at Rome perhaps needed uh, some edification when it came to uh, harmony amongst themselves because you have, uh, you know, Jews and Gentiles who uh, had no dealings with each other for customary reasons, uh, nationalities and prejudices, but all of a sudden they were all under the same roof. And so uh, Romans is a great book of teaching them uh, how to live in harmony and to let our differences go and to come together because there's one God, we're all sinners, we've all been saved by the same God. And so Christ was that center uh, piece that uh, unified uh, both parties and so Romans is will address those things and so all of Paul's writings normally there's a reason or a purpose or an occasion for why he wrote his epistles but not so in Romans it's different right with the Corinthian church you know that they were uh, notoriously living in sin and he had to address specific issues Roman Romans is more general it seems but having said this in reading it and studying it we can see that there was at least three purposes that Paul wrote to them first to prepare for his planned journey there right he wanted them to know I'm planning to go see you I'm trying to go see you if the Lord wills I will go see you I've heard of your faith I want to go there I want to go to Italy I want to eat the pasta and preach the gospel not not so but he 
He wanted them to know it was in his plans to go see them. He wanted them to know that. Secondly, it was Paul's understanding that the believers there needed to be established. And that's very general, right? The whole Bible uh, speaks to us that we all need to be established, right? So it's very general, but they needed to be established. Paul wanted to give them a well-instructed faith. And so uh, his letter is, a, is, is kind of a syllabus of Paul's apostolic teaching. It kind of just puts a, a lot of his ideas on our faith in the book of Romans. Romans is a masterful presentation of God's plan of salvation for the Jews and Gentiles. The third reason is for pastoral reasons, meaning as a shepherd, he wanted them to all get along. And I just mentioned that already. He wanted harmony between the differences of culture. And God has a lot to say about our harmony together. You know, the world is worried about diversity. And I think that Jesus Christ uh, within the church should be that that force that brings us together and we don't care what color you are we don't care uh, of these cultural differences we are one in christ and that's what the bible teaches and i think that you know as we follow christ that those things play out i don't feel like we need the government telling us do you know you're all not diverse you know what there is no manipulation in in our church whoever comes comes and and I, in, in being at Calvary Chapel for over 22 years, I have not experienced any prejudice. And I'm brown as can be, and, uh, and my last name's Hussein, and everyone has always received me. I hate the narrative where, you know, and some churches are buying into it. The Salvation Army is buying into critical race theory, and oh, the church is a mess, and we're racist, and who told you you were racist? Who told you? That's what they're saying about everything. You le you're letting that creep into the church? Who told you that we're racist? We're not. People are people and we're all sinners. Just because people have, you know, before I came to know Jesus, if, 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 you know, if people of a certain color wouldn't say hi to me, I would think, oh, they're probably racist. But as a believer now, I think they're probably having a bad day. Right? How many bad days have I had where I wasn't as friendly with people? We don't want to be marked as racist for those things. But there are racist people. We're not ignorant. It's a fallen world. Amen? But I have never seen that in our church. But they can look on the outside in and say, well, I don't see a quota of so many of that color. Dude, who's manipulating anything? The doors are open for everybody. For everybody. We're all equal in God's eyes. But anyways... Harmony is in Christ. There's neither Jew nor free nor Greek nor slave. You know what I'm saying. This is my what, third week of two services, right? Some dudes will record the first and just play a TV. Isn't that wrong? Isn't that wrong? Can I get an amen? I'm not condemning them, but that's wrong. But I think we'll record both services maybe and just, okay, which was the better one? We'll leave that on. <laughs> it's like, I got to leave something for second service. But anyways, um, he emphasized what they shared. And what we share is Christ. We share Christ. We celebrate the culture of Jesus. We don't care about those things. But we love our culture, sure. 
You know, I love to eat the varieties of food and hear the differences of languages and just, we all contribute, but it's Christ that is the center of our unity. Romans includes the most systematic presentation of theology found anywhere in scripture. It explains the meaning of the cross for the believer's life while expounding why Jesus died for all humanity. Why did Jesus die? You'll find it in Romans. Paul de- uh, clarifies the core concepts of, Christian, of the Christian faith about sin and righteousness, faith and works, uh, justification and election. The letter contains a detailed description of the sinfulness of man in chapter uh, uh, the sinfulness, not sinlessness, sinfulness of man, chapters 1 through 3. An extensive discussion of justification by faith, chapters 3 through 5, including a clear interpretation of the death of Christ, an elaborate explanation of sanctification, a strong section on the doctrine of election in chapter 9, a developed exposition of what happened to the nation of Israel and the destiny for God's people, chapters 9 through 11, and instructions on believers' relationship towards the government, Romans uh, 13 through 14. And so certainly Romans is the most doctrinal book in the Bible because it provides this systematic outline and essentials of the Christian faith. It is as useful to the mature believer as it is to the new believer. Somebody wants to find out what Christianity is all about. Romans is that book. The good news of Jesus Christ is more, though, than facts and doctrine. It's about a life to be lived. It's about a life to be lived. There's a lot of doctrine. There's a lot of why we do what we do. There's a lot of knowledge, but that knowledge needs to come down to our hearts from our head down here so that we are people who who don't just have knowledge of what we believe, but who actually live what we believe. My favorite uh, verses of Romans at this season in my life is Romans 8, 37 through 39. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, Jesus our Lord. Love those verses. So there's the introduction to Romans. So verse 1, we begin. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead." And so here Paul begins, as he does in a few of his letters, as a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He refers to himself, in, not only in this book, but in Galatians and in Titus, as a bondservant. In Colossians 4, he refers to another brother, a Christian, uh, by the name of uh, Epaphras. And he says concerning Epaphras that, that he is one of you, a bondservant of Christ. This Epaphras, he's one of you, he said to the church, a bondservant of Christ. 
James, who is the half-brother of Jesus. Yes, it's Christmas time, and let folks who don't know that Mary and Joseph had children after Jesus was born. And one of them was James. And James, in his letter, he refers to himself not as the half-brother of Jesus, which I think we would have said. He says, I'm a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, in his second letter, letter refers to himself as a bondservant of Jesus Christ. James, or I just said that Jude, refers to himself as a bondservant of Jesus Christ as well. Jude, James, Peter, Paul, Epaphras, but also Jesus. Paul refers to our Lord as a bondservant. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Even our Lord, who humbled himself to the Father, who humbled himself to go to the cross for our sins. That's our Lord. A bondservant is a slave, a volunteer slave, who decides that he wants to stay with his master and not be set free. That is a bondservant. In the Old Testament, uh, when a Hebrew owed a debt to his brother and could not pay it, he can place himself uh, under his... uh, Uh, as a servant under his brother for six years the bible said for six years and then he had to be released according to the law after six years but exodus 21 tells us in verse 5 through 6 that if that servant plainly says i love my master my wife and my children i will not go free If he says that, if he wants to stay after those six years, then his master shall bring him to the judges and he shall also bring him to the door or the doorpost and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl and he shall serve him forever. So against the door or doorpost, he would put an earring on that slave that would signify to everyone that I'm a bond slave. I'm a volunteer slave servant of my master. Well, you know where I'm going with this. We too are God's bond servants the moment we come to Christ. He calls for it. He demands it. That we no longer live for ourselves. We are no longer our own masters, but we are now mastered by the Lord who saved us and died for us. That is what a bondservant uh, is, and that is who we are. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 22, it says, For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. But he, um, likewise, he who is called while free is Christ slave we're Christ slave Colossians 6 19 Paul writes or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you have from God and you are not your own that's heavy do you know that we are not our own we don't belong to ourselves anymore crazy 
It's good to be reminded of that. Especially this time of year. Christmas is about the birth of our Lord and Savior, but it's about a lot of things. It's like a, it, it, you know, we take inventory spiritually, or we should. You see, Mary responded to the birth of, of our Lord as saying, I am your servant to God. I am your servant. And we need to remember that this Christmas uh, time. To ask the question, are we being submissive to God? Are we yielding to our master? Do we uphold his word in our everyday lives? Or do we explain it away as to, oh, I'm under grace, that doesn't apply to me. God understands my situation, or God understands their situation, and, and we, we, we think that we're exempt from obedience to His Word. Thank you for joining us today at Lasting Truth Radio. If you're in the area, come on out and join us for Sunday services at 8.30 a.m. and at 10.30 a.m., or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. We are located at 3035 West Nicollet Street in Banning, California. You can also find us on YouTube or Instagram. If you'd like to donate to our program, please do so on our website at ccsweethills.org and hit the online giving tab. We hope you will continue to tune in as we journey through the entire Word of God with the teaching of Pastor Ryan Hussein at Calvary Chapel Sweet Hills.